Recently in my life, I have had to understand and come to the understanding that you and me cannot control the spiritual temperature of those we know and love. We can't. And however heartbreaking that can tend to be, we can't. It's just not something within our scope of control. Now, can we provide tools to help our loved ones grow, to come to know Christ and grow to serve Christ? Yes. But ultimately, whose choice is it to serve Him and to love Him and to continue to grow in Him? It's theirs. So what we can control, we know what we can't control. We cannot control the spiritual temperature of those we know and love. But we can control the way we respond to their spiritual temperature. And that's a biggie. And this morning in this lesson, we want to take the time to note Moses' response to the rebellion of Korah and some 250 other well-known established leaders in Israel. How did Moses face the sin? How did he respond to the sin? What sins did he face? Can you control your response to others' sins? Yes. The first question we seek to answer is, what is the sin on display here? What is the sin in Numbers chapter 16 that God is putting on display to help you and I recognize and avoid in our lives? What do you think? What's the sin that is on display? Yes, sir. Pride. And and you actually answer two questions with that answer. Um. What is the sin that's on display here? I would say it's rebellion, but at the core of rebellion is pride. What is the sin on display here? It's rebellion, but at face value, rebellion. Where does rebellion originate? In pride. Yeah. Whether it's my... Five-year-old son who is now 15 years old. I have two children. Robbie is 15. My daughter Adeline is 19. Adeline is in college at Bob Jones University in South Carolina. And Robbie is at home. (laughs) And I don't know what God is going to do with Robbie or Adeline in all reality yet. But there are times where they make choices that reveal to me a spiritual temperature that is, at best, disappointing and heartbreaking at worst. So really, this study helps me, and as I pray, would help you respond in a godly way to those who we know and love, whose spiritual temperature is not what it ought to be. Look at verses 1 through 3. Let's read through that together. 
Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi and Dathan and Abiram, and the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth and sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250. What kind of men were these? They were princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. These would be what's called men of the gate. These were leaders, men of renown, and they gathered themselves together against who? Moses and against Aaron. Now, what is the context at this point? What time frame are we talking about in the adventures in the history of Israel? What is going on with the nation of Israel? Exodus. So what else? I heard something. Exodus. What does that mean? We're in the Exodus. What are we talking about? Leaving Egypt. In the wilderness. Mount Sinai. A lot of events. And who has been the leader thus far? Moses. Has Moses done a good job? I would hate to see what would happen if I was in Moses' shoes. What would happen if you were in Moses' shoes? Some three million people for some 40 years traveling through the wilderness with a people who love to be led. Not, right? It's just like you and me. We're sheep. There's times where we appreciate being led, but most of the time, I saw this, I was actually going to save this for the morning message. We're going to look at Psalm 23 this morning. I saw this meme. Maybe you've seen it. It's a sheep. And the sheep is running along this field. And you see as the, as the, as the, image, the, the, the image widens, kind of uh, spans out, you can see a ditch. And the ditch is like six to ten feet deep. Some sort of an irrigation ditch in the field. And you see the sheep. And he's running. And then all of a sudden, the left side of the screen comes the farmer, or we would make the application a shepherd, and he's chasing the sheep. What is he trying to keep the sheep from doing? Jumping into the ditch. Now, it's only, I mean, I mean, maybe three feet wide. The sheep could jump over it. But what's another characteristic of a sheep? Not very smart. That's the kind way to say it, right? They're not very smart. We are... Uh, sheep are used to illustrate our character, our characteristics. Sheep are dumb, so therefore, what are we? Dumb. When someone who loves the Lord is trying to lead us, many times we respect that. And we seek to follow it. But there's also many times where we're just stupid. And we refuse to be led because we, in our pride, want to do it our way. So, the sheep is, is running away from the shepherd and jumps. Not to try to clear the ditch, jumps right into the ditch. I mean, like right in the middle. You see the sheep just disappear. And the, the shepherd climbs down into, the, into the, the irrigation ditch. And what does he do? He pulls the sheep out, puts him on the other side of the ditch. 
And as the shepherd is climbing out, what does the sheep do? He literally jumped right back into the ditch. Moses was challenged to lead three million sheep. Three million. And we, you and me, are challenged to lead a handful. How dependent should we be on God for our response to sin in the lives of those we love. We need to be 100% reliant upon God for our response to sin. So first we see the sin on display here is rebellion. He continues, men of renown, verse 3, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them. So, So we have this, physical picture of what rebellion looks like. What's the word that we see here a couple of times used to describe what rebellion physically looks like? What do you see there? Who are they? uh, What is their physical stance toward Moses and Aaron? Against. What kind of picture does that draw in your mind of rebellion? What What do you picture in your mind? Aggressive. Yeah, there's this kind of leaning forward. You know, it's not a smile. If you're against something or someone, there is an aggressiveness. There is an assertiveness in this. What else? What else comes to your mind when you think of someone being against? Think about maybe somebody in your life who has been against you. What did you note in their physical? What did rebellion physically look like? Anger, hatred even, um, toward whatever it is that you are doing or not doing that that person doesn't like. I heard something. It's in complete contrast. It's the utter opposite stance of what you are. Uh, I listened to uh, Pastor Coleman's message on not bowing to the rainbow um, Basically, the, the, the ideology of LGBTQ+. What a powerful message. That even though we face those who are in rebellion against biblical principle, what are we to do? We continue. There is a response that God wants us to have in response to those who are in sin those that we know and love, and and even those that we don't know. There is this sense in which rebellion pictured, if you could put on canvas in paint what rebellion looks like, it's this idea of a scowl, hatred, anger, against a leaning forward in your face against what you stand for. And at its core is our pride. What are some other ways to describe what is at the core, this pride? Uh, What fuels rebellion? What is fueling Korah and his 250 uh, men? What is fueling them to be standing against Moses and Aaron? A jealousy. 
And we're going to talk about some envy, jealousy, egotism. Um, definitely. What else? Ambition. Yet the world says we're supposed to be ambitious. We're supposed to have pride. Now, there is good pride. But precious few good pride. We have to be careful, even with the good pride, that it doesn't form into a sinful pride. I would, I would imagine it's probably safe to say when Jesse puts on his uniform, there is a sense of pride. Uh, how many years have you been in, Jesse? 17. And when you put that uniform on, Lord willing, tomorrow morning, you're probably going to look in the mirror to make sure that it looks good, that it's sharp, that you're within regs, your hair is cut. Uh, you know, you, you, you have pride. Uh, we that are no longer active duty, when we go to work, we, uh, depending on what our job is, if we're working an office job, we typically want to look Presentable. We want to look professional. There's a sense of pride in that. In this case, where has Korah and these 250 gone wrong? Where have they passed the line? What do you think? Maybe you can think back to your own lives. Exactly. This, and this aspect, this, this one aspect of several that we could point out, uh, that fuel, uh, contribute to the rebellion, is this act of envy. We're, we're envious, a jealousy. Um, envy is something we have to be careful. And if it's envy that motivates our pride, if it's envy that motivates our rebellion, even at the points we, we need to rebel... COVID was a great example of the fact that we need to rebel at points against man, not follow man, but follow God. So when our dubious governor said we can't sing in our church services after he'd already said we can't even meet, what do we do? Well, we obey God. Oh, of course we're going to meet. And we're going to be praying for you, Governor, that the Lord would get a hold of your heart. There are times where we need to rebel. But again, even in those times, we check what the motivation is when we seek to rebel against man's authority to continue to follow after God's. We check ourselves. We look at that. We investigate. And we see what is the motivation. In this case, one of the motivations of Korah and those 250 leaders, men that you probably would think, wow, they'll never do anything like that. And it would be a surprise to you to see them in rebellion against Moses and Aaron. But it was Korah's envy, his painful, resentful awareness of an advantage enjoined, enjoyed by another, joined with a desire to possess the same. Envy is this. When we are envying someone, it is this painful, resentful awareness of an advantage that they have over us. And then, on top of that, 
a desire to possess that advantage. You tracking? You see that? That's where envy becomes sinful. Envy is sinful because we are looking to possess that advantage that someone else has. We have lost sight of the advantage that we have in Scripture, the advantage that we have in God, and now we see an advantage, some physical, temporal advantage that somebody supposedly has over us, and we want it. Korah was fueled, motivated by this envy of Moses and Aaron. And this this was probably talked about uh, on Wednesday night. In all reality, who are Korah and those 250 men really rebelling against? God. And Satan gets in there and... deceives, and he beguiles, and he twists and rests emotions and principles in the lives and minds and hearts of Korah and those 250 men. And Korah thinks to himself, well, who's Moses anyway? Who's Aaron anyway? To lead me? Did you see the decision they made the other day? What in the world were they thinking? And he's saying that to a couple other men. And then they get a couple other men into the decision the next day, into this conversation. And pretty soon the group has grown to 15, 25. Next week it's 50. The next week it's 150. By the end of the the month, it's 250 men are all talking about the fact that who is this Moses and Aaron? Who do they think they are leading us? They're no better than you you and me. Korah would say, I could do a much better job. What tribe was Korah from? Levi. What were they supposed to do? Priests. Uh, Not the high priest. They were to minister, right? Minister to the nation of Israel. What are some specific things that the Levites would do? Do you remember? If if, if they were uh, traveling in the wilderness, uh, who would carry... What's that? They would, they would carry um, the items, everything. <laughs> they carried everything. So if they were already established at one spot, the tabernacle has already been set up, and Moses says, hey, we've got to move on, the Levites would come along, Korah and his tribe, and they would pack everything up. Uh, I don't know what it would look like. I could just imagine went on a hike yesterday and had a, a light backpack on. I could just imagine their backpacks were probably huge, and they're carrying all this weight. It was their responsibility to take all of that stuff, pack it up, and bring it to the next stop. When they get to the next stop, they set up the tabernacle. They minister to the people of Israel in that way. Where was Aaron from? What tribe was he from? What was, he, what was his job? The high priest and his sons. And so you'll note Korah... What does he and and, and those who are rebelling, what are they going to say next? What is going to be their argument? We note first, envy is contributing to their rebellion, which is originating in pride. But we also note that there is an egotism 
What is ego? If you're an egotist, what are you? What are you doing? Self-centered. Everything's about me. (laughs) Narcissism is is close to egotism. And if you look at Korah and, and Aaron, excuse me, Korah and those 250 You're going to note this self-centeredness. Continue with me. Verse 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you. Now, who told Moses and Aaron to do what they're doing? God. So right away, Korah and those 250 men, they're telling Moses and Aaron, they're really telling God, this is wrong. This was the wrong decision. And uh, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them, wherefore then lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. So what's he doing now? Who do you think you are? You know better than us. And in all reality, is that the truth? It is. Uh, A pastor is no better or worse than the congregation. Uh, A missionary is no better or worse than those he's ministering to. By God's grace, one is saved, the missionary, and and by God's mercy, the others need to be saved. And that's why the missionary is there. But in this case, Korah and, and those in rebellion, they seek to level the playing field by saying there is no reason why God has called you to do what you're doing. We don't need you. We don't need your guidance. We don't need your protection. We're going to see in the morning about Psalm 23. How God cares and provides comfort for his sheep. And he's always in control. Korah, in his pride, has lost sight of these very basic fundamentals of theology. These very basic fundamentals of who God is and what he does. And his pride, he has replaced, now he's an idolater. He has replaced God on the throne of his heart with who? With himself. Hence the egotism. If when you're talking, you repeat the word I and me over and over and over and over and over. It may be, I'm not saying it always is. But it may be an indication of some self-centeredness. It may be an indication of some egotism. If you always have to be the star of the conversation, that may be an indication of some egotism. If, if uh, you're, you know, say the church gets together for a, for a, uh, a fellowship and you have a hard time of listening to other people talk. You have a hard time of listening to other people share their stories. And, and you're constantly waiting for the sentence to end so that you can jump in there. I'm not saying all the time that's a sign of egotism, but it could be. It's just something this passage reminds us to be careful of self-centeredness. Allow others to be the, the, the conversation piece. Let others tell their story. Ask others questions that get them to talk and share their story. Now, again, that's in the context of the church. Believers, fellowshipping, 
Iron sharpens iron. We don't want to be. We don't want to be the center of the conversation. Let others be the center of the conversation. Point to Christ. Let him be the center of the conversation. Envy and egotism contribute to the sin of rebellion originating in pride. What character trait is going to be displayed by Moses? Let's look at verse, continue with verse 4 here. And Moses, when he heard it, heard what? The accusations, right? He's, 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 he's allowed Korah and these 250 men to come to him with their complaints. He's allowed it. He could have shut them down right away. He's allowed them to come. And Moses, when he heard it, stood up, grabbed the backs of their necks and slammed their heads together, went into UFC mode and took them all out. This is where we see what God wants us, how God wants us to respond to our loved ones and those we know whose spiritual temperature is not what it ought to be and very well may be in direct rebellion against us and against what God, what we know is God's will. How should we respond? What did Moses do? Fell on his face. So how would you describe that character trait? Humility. I'm thinking of an M word. Rhymes with leakness, if that's a word. Meekness and humility go hand in hand. What is meekness? Define meekness. Power under control. What's a great illustration of meekness? Oh, describe that. Wow. That's a great illustration. That's the first time I've heard that one. I, as a matter of fact, I was just watching a meme. This guy is a nut, nut, nutcase. He's got lions as pets in a, in a preservation or a reservation. And he went up behind this one lion who's drinking. Have you seen that? Goes up behind the lion that's drinking water to scare the lion. Something's not all up there. You know, he's a, a few bricks Shy of a load. And he does. He goes up and he, and he kind of slaps the, the rear end of, of the lion. And the lion just kind of jumps. Another one, he's laying, uh, the, the lion is laying down. And he is laying head to head with the, the lion. Full mane, large animal. And you can see the paws. Just kind of, the, the lion could at any moment just shred the guy. That's a great illustration of meekness. And I heard up here the one I'm more familiar with, the horse. How many of you have been to Camp Ironwood before? Many of you, Camp Ironwood. The broken eye, the symbol of, I think I saw Thomas's hand up there too. Yeah, there's the hand. Um, that picture of strength under control. Wild horse needs to be broken so that someone can ride on it and experience the power of that horse and put it to good use, put it to work. Moses displays a meekness in response to the sin of Korah, the sin of rebellion. Remember, Korah and 250 men are standing against Moses and Aaron. 
Have you ever had someone get right in your face, frothing mad, with a scowl and anger and hatred? Have you ever had that? What a terrible place to be. But what a great opportunity to respond in a godlike manner. Our first gut response would be to rip the guy's throat out. To call Jesse and say, hey, can you uh, help me learn some more hand-to-hand? i got a situation here. That would be our first response. But Moses shows us our godly response. I'm going to fall asleep. <laughs> you see this response. He fell upon his face. When someone is standing against you in direct contradiction to what you're saying, I can only imagine as an NCO in the Air Force, if I had one of my airmen come up to me and say, no, Sergeant Troutman, no, I'm not doing it. My first response would be, not what it should be. Moses gives us this this response that is 180 degrees out from what the world would expect. The nation of Israel, those that are not in rebellion yet, are standing behind Moses and they're saying, yeah, get him, Moses, get him. You know, take him down, take Korah out. We've been hearing the conversations they've been having. And and although we should have told you earlier we didn't, but now you can go take him out. He falls upon his face. And then what? He spake unto Korah and unto his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. How does Moses know this? What happened when he fell upon his face? What's that? Prayed. Prayed. He's beseeching his God. And he's probably saying, Lord, you know what I want to do to this guy. And Moses could do it. Moses was strong. And he was a specimen. And he could have taken Korah out, probably slayed all 250 of them, if he wanted to. But he falls upon his face recognizing God is in control, that God knows the situation. He recognizes the way he's feeling. He's recognizing the emotions that he's going through. He recognizes what he wants to do, but he puts all that aside and he falls on his face. And this is, this is accomplishing several things. One, first and foremost, he's acknowledging God's control. He's going to God first. Two, it's giving him some time to settle down. Many times raising my kids, I remember anger. When there was rebellion or there was disobedience, the first response typically for a parent is anger. Now, that's not necessarily sin, is it? Be angry and sin not. Anger against sin is what a Christian should feel. But it's what we do with that anger that brings us into the realm of sin or keeps us in the realm of obedience. And I remember times losing that battle with my anger. And instead of 
disciplining with love as the motivation. It was anger that was the motivation. And I remember my wife several times saving me. Rob, come on over here. Take a few minutes. Breathe. Let's pray. You know, I married up. My wife is amazing. When we stop and we acknowledge God and His control of the situation, it accomplishes several things. Third thing it accomplishes is what do you think Korah's thinking? Korah's in his face. Korah's wanting to throw down. Korah is wanting to, fueled by his sin of pride, he's wanting to cause Moses to just let go. And, and let's get it on. Let's fight. Bring it. Let's go. And instead, Moses backs away and falls on his face, beseeching the Lord. If I was Korah, I mean, what would you do if you were Korah? How would you respond to that? Do you remember the verse that says, responding to our, this is RBTV, this is the Robert Bruce Troutman version. Respond to your enemies with love because it will be like heaping hot coals on their forehead. This is a response Korah would have never expected. I mean, we can imagine and if I could only have been a fly on the palm tree right there watching this to see, to see Korah's response. Because we can imagine that Korah at that moment realized what he was doing was wrong. Moses' godly response would have, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, convicted Korah would have shown Korah, hey, what you're doing is wrong and it's sinful. And give it an opportunity for Korah to stop, evaluate, and fix. To confess that sin. And to get right with God. Now, obviously, we know that didn't happen. Ultimately, Korah decides in his pride to continue. But the character trait that Moses displays in response to Korah's sin and those 250 men is meekness. And you and I, if we are going to respond in meekness to a situation like this, when someone is in direct rebellion against us, or we're seeking to have a godly response to someone that we love in their sin, the first thing we got to do is seek the Lord. We stop and we pray. We seek, uh, beseech, beg God's guidance in this. Stop and take a time out. Is the confrontation with the rebels a consequence of meekness? You know, this is going to continue. You guys know the story, having just gone through it on Wednesday. This is not getting fixed right here and right now. As a matter of fact, the next day, what's going to happen? Israel has seen the ground open up and God swallow in His wrath these in rebellion against him. And the very next day, the rebellion is going to stop or continue? Continue. 
Is the continuation of this rebellion a consequence of Moses' meekness? Yes or no? No. It is not. The meekness, that strength under control, has done what it's supposed to do. It has shown Korah that Moses is not going to lower himself to the same level as Korah. Moses maintains what we would call the moral high ground. Moses maintains his walk, his testimony with the Lord. And when you and I respond with a meek response, power under control, not weakness, we're not giving in to the sin, we're not allowing the sin, we're not uh, celebrating the sin, but we stop and we respond in a way that is meek. It's not weakness. As a matter of fact, it's the direct opposite. This is a godly strength, which doesn't look like strength to the world. But for a believer, we understand that when we stop and we seek the Lord's will in this conflict, whatever it is, that it is shining a bright, holy, pure light onto their hearts and revealing to them Revealing to them their own sin. Not only do we see the sin on display as being rebellion fueled by envy and egotism, we also see Moses' response is meekness. And we ought to respond in the same way, regardless of the consequence. Regardless of how we see this working out in our own Uh, understanding of things. We follow God's example with Moses. Finally, what sin fuels, continues this, the rebellion, we've already seen this, is pride. Um, What does our pride refuse to recognize? When you look at Korah, uh, and he's no better or worse than you or me. That's why we have to be on guard against it. What does our pride, just like Korah, refuse to recognize? What is that? Our own sin. Our own sinfulness. We have a tendency to think that, uh, yeah, well, I haven't done that, so therefore I am more holy or uh, uh, deserve something more than you. And that's just not the case. The ground is level at the cross. Uh, what else do we see? I'm sorry? God's authority. And ultimately, pride in our own not recognizing our own sinful condition, whether that's prior to salvation or post-salvation, we're we're refusing to recognize the authority of God in the situation. That's why it's so important to stop and to fall on our face before the Lord. What is another character trait of God that pride refuses to recognize? Not just His authority, but what else do we see? There's probably several... But what's something else that comes to your mind? Specifically, when we are in our pride, and we're in sin because of our pride, what are some other character qualities of God that pride refuses to recognize? Sovereignty. Very close to His authority, right? What else? Provision. The fact that God has provided. Even the situation that we find ourselves in. 
correction for judgment. I don't want to get spanked. (laughs) So what am I going to do? I'm not going to go to God and let him know. I don't want to get spanked. It's my natural instinct to hide my sin. In our pride, we think, oh, man, if I just put this one back in the closet, I'll be all right. Maybe I'll get away with it. His trustworthiness. We can trust him in the situation we're in. Finally, I want to leave you with two characteristics of evil rebellion. One, rebellion is the seedbed of lies and false doctrine. When we feed our pride, it will lead to rebellion. It will, without a doubt. Don't feed your pride. And rebellion is the seedbed of lies and false doctrine. Secondly, the characteristics of evil rebellion destroys an undiscerning people. You will have people who cannot discern They're just not to that maturity level yet. They haven't grown in Christ yet to understand what's going on with Korah. And they're kind of like Moses and Aaron over here. They're kind of like looking at Korah. He's so passionate. He he really does sound like he's telling the truth. And they kind of lend to to coming over this way towards Korah and the rebellion. They're undiscerning. And that's why it's so critical for those of you uh, uh, who are to the point where you can discern rebellion that you help put a stop to it. That you help those who are undiscerning or unable to discern that rebellion and what it really is. That you help them to see it for what it really is. We cannot control the spiritual temperature of those we love, but we can control the response we have to them. May God help us to respond to those whose spiritual temperature just may not be what we think it ought to be. And we're talking about Christians. May we respond to them in a way that reveals our love for Christ in a meek and tender way to point them back to Him. Let's pray.